Hello, welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with international educator and author. She's been teaching writing for over 25 years. Her clients include business and non-profit organizations in the United States and around the world. Her new book, High Value Writing, Real Strategies for Real World Writing, helps businesses writers boost their confidence by writing clearly, concisely, and with intention. And on today's podcast, we'll be chatting about writing with confidence. A very warm welcome to the podcast. I'm going to say this as best I can, Erin Lebax. How did I do, Erin? You did great. You got it. Wonderful. Okay, let's get this started. Where are you right now on planet Earth? Hi, David. Thanks for having me. I'm coming to you from Sacramento, California in the States. So make listeners as jealous as possible. What's the temperature like right now in Sacramento? Well, I it may be so warm as to go beyond jealousy, but it's right. maybe, <laughs> let's see, we're probably in the high 30s Celsius would be oh, my wow. guess. Okay. High, yeah, it's, it's going to hit 95 today Fahrenheit. So is that quite are, normal? Uh, it comes and goes in the summer. We've been having some flip-flopping weather, but it gets pretty hot here in the summer because we get over towards the mountains where I right. am. Okay, so Erin, I gave a brief introduction about your background, so can you let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Sure, thank you. Um, Well, I've always had the passion to try to help others um, become empowered to achieve their goals and use their voice. And so even though I had studied international relations in college, I, when I became a teacher, I thought, well, I want to teach writing because that's where people get to pursue their independent goals Um, but need the empowerment of being able to use words in a way that represents them well um, and that helps them achieve their goals. So I now, I worked mostly teaching university, got to teach um, in Indonesia and China, but mostly in the United States. And for the last few years, I've been teaching writing in businesses um, and bringing in some concepts about how to help our readers, how to make connections through writing now that we all work remotely and how to really build relationships through writing since we don't always get to work with people in person anymore. Can I ask Naren, so I'm a big fan of Indonesia. Where did you where did you go in Indonesia? Was it Bali or was it anywhere like that? Well, I flew through Bali and I was teaching on Sulawesi Island. Oh, Sulawesi. Have you yeah, been there? I have. No. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never <laughs> meet anyone who, did you go see the whale shark? I didn't. I came from a different one. I used to fly the people in and fly them back out again. Oh, wow. So generally, but I did a bit of traveling around the region anyway, but it's a a wonderful, wonderful. So how long were you there for? I only taught for one month in the summer. It was a summer class for adults, um, folks at the university, customs agents, IT folks who, and journalists who wanted to work on their English, um, you know, for working with a Western audience. But it was delightful. It was one of the best months of my life, and it was very hard to leave. <laughs> it, can be quite, it can be quite humid. The weather oh, can yeah. be very sticky. Yep, yep. A lot happens at night. I mean, even our class was uh, at 4 to 8 p.m., right. which I should convert, but yes. And what about China? 20. Um, China, it was also warm. It was another one. I often, when I was teaching university, I would do one month of a gig in the summer in another country. Right. So it was another one month class for graduate students in the sciences. Uh, what, what part honestly, of China? Well, <laughs> it was Wuhan. And oh, it was I've been to Wuhan. About, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was about nine months before COVID started, maybe, or maybe oh, a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and how did, you, yeah. how did you find, I mean, culturally, was it very different? Yes. Um, I found, I was more thinking about 
Indonesia and China, the differences within those two, since I had done a month in each and I found quite a few differences, even just in the way English is used, but also culturally about um, when we need to be serious and when we need to be playful and when we need to be relational. Um, and then of course in Indonesia, we had the, the prayers and all those customs going on in the background. Um, and then in China, it was interesting because I had never taught um, in a country that was secular in that way. And that was even a little bit different than teaching here right. in the US. It's fascinating. It's it's yeah. you've had you've three different cultures in such a short space of time. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's brilliant. So what about then? You know, we're talking about writing today. With I mean, how difficult is it then to write with confidence? Is it difficult? I think writing with confidence can be quite difficult because most of us really have the ability to write very well, but our lack of confidence can get in the way. I think we second guess ourselves because usually we've been brought up only talking about writing once in our life, which was during school. Maybe it was many years, but we only talked about writing one way, most of us, um, how to do a good job writing at school. Most people get to work and then find out, oh shoot, my boss does not want an essay. They just want a brief email. And now I've lost all my confidence. Right. So, you know, I find that people feel, well, it's hard to please whoever is the big judge of writing. But the truth is we can all write well and there's no one way to write that's correct. It's always dependent on the situation, but I don't think that we are taught that. And so when we get to writing in real life, it can feel kind of scary. I have to say, Erin, from my own point of view, I'm I'm an awful writer and I'm, I'm gonna hold my hands up and it's not to sound like I'm being negative. I was was quite good in school I say quite good. I wasn't wasn't good in school. I was I was a messer. But generally, I kind of got lazy as I got older. And did you, I don't know if you ever heard a statement. I write like a doctor. Did you ever hear I that have. statement? Is that I just right. scribble stuff? Yeah, I yeah. just kind of. So I don't know whether that's because I'm lazy now that we have phones and technology. So do you think maybe society has become quite lazy then? in relation to their writing, because we have all these gadgets and devices and they can do spell checks and they can do grammar checks and they can they can correct when when I've said or done something stupid. I mean, is that is that the norm now? I think to an extent, um, I, I feel like most of the folks I work with, they seem like they want to try very hard. They seem like they're not lazy, but that they don't know how to do it. And so they just think, oh, well, I'll let spell check do it for me. Um, Because again, I think we're brought up thinking that we are not the owners of writing, that there's some other, you know, judge of writing out there that we have to try to please. And so we might think, well, I don't know what to do, but now I can just use spelling and grammar. So that'll probably be right. So I'll just do that. But the truth is, often they are not right because they don't consider things like the relationship between the writer and reader is is not going to be considered by um, a program like that, right? So we can't always engage the right tone, even if we can avoid surface errors that way. Right. Did you ever get frustrated, Erin, when you see something, even like a a bio or a, a book written by somebody that's kind of famous, or do you ever pick up the book and go, what? What on earth or who on earth has written your book? I mean, does, does that happen a lot that we, that we don't notice? I think so, because I don't think people remember that anytime, we're, anytime we ever write, unless it's a journal, it's for somebody else. And I don't think that 
the writers of, for example, textbooks or some biographies and other books, they may have been thinking more about their own topic, their own interest in the topic, but kind of forgetting that, oh, this has to be engaging right. on the other side. <laughs> yes. And we all know what it's like to try to read a textbook and give up because it's too boring. Yes. And I don't yeah. think, you know, so we really need to think about sort of the emotions of the reader, the attention span of the reader and all of that, as well as just informing them. Can I go back then to your time? Because I'm really interested in this um, in your time in China and Indonesia. So yeah. say, for example, I could be totally wrong here. Do the Chinese write the opposite side, start from right to left? And if they do, how does that work out for you if you're trying to teach them how to write English from left to right? Does that make sense? It does. Um, I, I won't have a great answer for you because my students were already using English pretty well, but they wanted to use it in a more academic way. So they already knew how to write it and everything. Yes. Um, but I've had that more with talking with folks who've grown up on Arabic right. and trying to get in that <laughs> other mindset of how it flows. I did find, though, with my students in China that it, it seemed to me, I could be wrong, but it appeared as though they had received lots and lots of precise instruction in grammar. They, right. knew, more, they knew grammar inside and out better than me, but they did not have usage. Okay. Um, they, you know, they didn't know how to use it in a realistic sense or even for an academic paper because they had more been taught only through the rules of grammar. Wow. Okay. I, I can't imagine my own brain thinking if you're trying to swap from one to another. Right. Yeah. It, it's, well, I can't bear thinking. It's, it's something alien for me, if you know what I mean. It's, well, well, how would you find that? I mean, have you experienced that yourself having to study? or possibly studying other languages or other uh, writing techniques. Does that ever pop up with you? You're kind of like, well, Jesus, I mean, I'm teaching this, but they're used to this. And uh, how, how does that work? Yeah, well, when I was teaching writing there, it, it was quite different. Um, they told me my instruction was quite different than what they were used to. Right. Um, and I had to adapt to them. And I, one of the big differences actually was um, how much we talked about the writing um, because I think many people have been instructed to be quieter and think of the teacher as the one with the knowledge. Ah, um, okay. I think of the whole group as the people with knowledge. All of us are readers. We all right. read texts, emails, magazines, books. So we're all equal in terms of understanding that we need to think about our reader and what it feels like as a reader. But the group I worked with was not used to engaging out loud with the teacher as much. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's listening to you there. It's brilliant. It's 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 uh, you've you've great knowledge and uh, experience. So what about then? Generally, the biggest fails in writing. I mean, I know we spoke about maybe bios and uh, different cultures and different writing styles, but what are the biggest fails? I think one of the biggest fails um, I've been talking with folks about lately, and it would apply in any kind of writing is delaying information for your reader. Um, and that could be you're writing an email, but you don't say the main point until the third paragraph, or it could even be with a sentence and that sometimes we're not sure how to start and we feel nervous. So we end up starting a paragraph or an email with, this is to inform you that, or it is important to consider, or there are many reasons. 
those slow lead-ins that delay the real information and the reader has to wait till later to find out. Right. I think that's a fail because these days we really can't make our readers wait for information because they might not wait. They might just leave and go read something else. Right. Everybody's busy. So we have to inform <laughs> people right away or they might disappear. And I talked this this morning, I had a class with some folks who had been in college recently and they said, gosh, I'm trying to get used to the fact that I was taught to write this long description and now people just want the information right away. And right. that's one of the big fails is that we all think, oh, I should be really beautiful with my writing and lead up to my point. But in, in the world, we mostly just want to learn the information right away. You sound like you're talking about me, Erin, at the moment, because I have to <laughs> Is say, <that> your style? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I, you see my LinkedIn profile. I think somebody else wrote it because uh, I'd be kind of like the waffler. I would okay. be telling them like the full kind of like story, building it all up without giving them the relevant information. And they probably just get so bored of me that they just kind of move on uh, uh, very, very, very quickly. I know I was I was looking at one of your YouTube uh, videos and similar to what you're mentioning now at the moment with regards to maybe techniques or a process to help with, with confidence in writing. You had a section there which was um, uh, flow and not so much flowing. So mm-hmm. can you give an example of maybe, um, say, an opening statement maybe of a, of a, a CV or a, a job application to get that information out as quick as possible? How, how, how would you determine the, the, the two or separate the two to make them more engaging and for the recipient to understand it as quick as possible? Yeah, great question, because you're right. If you're writing something like a CV or a cover letter, it matters how we start, right? It's setting a tone for everything. I think the best advice I can give for for that kind of writing is to focus a whole lot on your verbs. If you're writing a CV, it's all about what you've done and accomplished, and those are actions and those are verbs. But also verbs are the most engaging types of words for a reader because we can often visualize a verb and imagine it. And verbs also carry tone. Um, and emotion. For example, I could say, um, please listen to the podcast, or I could say, please enjoy the podcast. Slightly different tone, right? I would rather do the second one. I'd rather enjoy something than just (laughs) listen to it, right? So the verb is where you're going to set emotion for your reader too. So by really sort of focusing on what are the strong verbs you can show about yourself in your opening statement, you are able to connect with your reader about tone but also show what you've accomplished can i ask then with uh, I think it's it's funny here because it's kind of kind of quite intimidating talking to you because i'm now kind of going to start waffling here because <laughs> i'm looking at the information as quick as possible i was going to waffle 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 but well anyway. i'm not saying i do all this <laughs> myself either but yeah i do my best you 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 speak with as we say in Ireland, you have marbles in your mouth did you ever hear that statement I have not. It's marbles like marbles, like you speak very well, and, okay. and yes, unfortunately, as as an Irishman, and there's no respect to all Irishmen, uh, we have a habit of waffling. I do apologize, okay. um, but you know when you see, I know we spoke about this briefly before uh, we started recording, but you know when you see these profiles on certain social media, and one of them being LinkedIn, say for example, and you see the bio of that individual, and they say, mm-hmm. "I am a." top class working individual with over 25 years of great communication skills of great do employers 
I mean, want to see that type of stuff. We talk about writing. I mean, is it just waffle? Are you just better off having three sentences to say, I worked in aviation for 10 years. I have experience in, you're not trying to get out of Aaron. I mean, you're trying to grasp for attention. You're trying to engage with them. It just seems to be, and I'm only using LinkedIn as one example, but I mean, this could apply to CVs or anything, but is the, is it just swaffle? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think you're right. That kind of the second way you proposed saying it where it's, I've done X, Y, and Z kind of, I think that might be preferred right now because, um, I'm often encouraging people to write in a way that is scannable, visually scannable, and maybe we can employ more bullets for that kind of thing. Because unfortunately, you know, we, well, maybe it's not unfortunate, it's just realistic. We have to adapt our writing based on cultural changes and based on the moment, right? And we know that people are really busy and worried and so much is going on in everyone's minds right now that I wouldn't maybe trust a reader to read four big paragraphs on my LinkedIn profile. I might rather create something that they can scan with their eyes and see, oh, look, a bullet, a bullet of their experience. Let me look at that bullet real quick, but I don't have to wade through all of the writing to get to what I need. Right. Why do you think, why do you think this maybe has happened where um, do you think it's just probably individuals, possibly in your own opinion, I mean, that are trying to sell themselves for this position? I mean, do you deal with this a lot, maybe with, with some of your clients? Are they just trying to sell themselves so much that it just kind of comes out like a novel? Yeah, I think that that's an issue. And, you know, I've, I've been guilty of it myself before as well, because when I switched from teaching university to starting my own um, business teaching writing, I said it was the first time in my life that I ever had to sell myself because I'd always had the university give me my students. And I was even told, you know, don't make it all about what you think is important, but make it about what they think is important which is a generally good rule of thumb for writing, right? It's not for you, it's for someone else. But I think we all get so concerned. Oh my gosh, I'm applying for a job. I have to show all the great stuff about me or they won't want me. But the truth is we want to present the writing in a way that works for them and meets their interests and needs. And so it's helped me to kind of switch lenses. And if I think through their perspective, what are the three relevant things I can say instead of maybe the 20 I would have said if I didn't filter it through the needs of that reader. Right. I've just made a note to myself, Erin, delete, <laughs> delete, modify LinkedIn profile ASAP. <laughs> ASAP. Okay. So, yeah. do, what about them? We spoke about the say, grammar, like in a CV. Um, we, we said with time and people might have the time now to really look through all, all the main points, but does a future employer, in your own opinion now, um, do they actually care so much? I know we're here talking about writing with confidence and high value writing, uh, you know, trying to get strategies, but does it stand out for somebody? Because at the end of the day, and no disrespect to any employers, but the employer might not understand the grammar themselves and they might not understand the writing themselves. So the effort of putting that into an application or a CV, do you think it's important? This is a great question. I really appreciate it because I think just a super quick background, I think often <clears throat> when people hear writing, they, they're thinking about grammar, but that's really not the most important part of writing at all. Grammar is just the surface and the way you connect with your reader is more about what you say and how you say it. 
Um, so I, in general, I think I'm biased towards not caring about grammar as much as other writing teachers. Um, however, I've seen in my classes, people are different, right? You've got your people who say, oh, who cares? We, as long as I get the point, I don't care. But every so often I'll talk with someone who truly does judge people by grammar still. Right. Um, and so it's kind of about thinking about who's going to be looking at this and do I think that that's going to be a value of theirs? Okay. Um, you know, when I'm working with folks and we're all from different countries and we're kind of like, none of us are going to care if somebody messes up their verb tense because we know we all use different languages. Yes. I'm yeah. not going to worry about it. But then if I'm turning in a resume where I know the person, you know, there are certain things they expect in that way, then I'm going to worry about it for that reader. Right. We, we, we spoke with then just before we started recording again that, um, and I probably was quite blunt about the whole thing, especially we have the great resignation at the moment and individuals are maybe job hopping a little bit more so how would you maybe suggest in a cover letter or a cv to say to an employer to not waste the employer's time or the interviewer's time or the individual's time because we see a lot of marketing and the marketing said this job is amazing this job is this and then four or five weeks later the candidate is gone so yes. how can you maybe get that across in the letter to say look i want this job but I, I'd be gone. <laughs> if, here's, the, here's the truth. Yeah. If it's not as advertised, I'm out of here. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's a really important thing for people to start talking about, right? Because we have the trend in the US, we call it ghosting, where yes. somebody, you know, they get interviewed. Like most of my friends, Aaron. Yes, they, they ghost. Your me. friends have ghosted you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're seeing... Um, candidates, applicants, even people who've been hired or gone to onboarding and then they just aren't there on the first day. Yes. And so I think you're right. It's time for us to be able to communicate honestly between applicant and employer because it's a waste of everyone's time to just go through the process without the transparency and then they disappear later. Yes. So I think um, ways that we can clarify in our letter you know, kind of our needs, but without saying being pushy or messing up the relationship um, I often talk to people about how we can write critical negative information without ruining a relationship, as long as we write it in what I call productive phrasing. Right. So instead of saying, you know, if you don't give me three new projects in the first year, I'm going to be upset. We could say, when I experience new projects, I get really excited about my job. Okay. So we're, you know, we're able to still say something honest and maybe negative, but we can do it in a way that's constructive. Yes, that's, that's very well said. It's quite a good way. It's like the question we get in the interview, what's your strength or weakness? <laughs> yeah. And as a weakness, you go, well, I get angry at night when I don't get fed or I don't. And you're kind of like, no, don't, don't, don't say that. You know, I don't, I get right. from the people. You know, well, everybody always, that. People always just lie in that one, right? They say, yeah. well, my weakness is I care too much. I care something. too much. I work I, too hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, without being unfair on employers here, because someone will probably listen to this where they go, you know, it's all about the candidate. But can the employer as well, let's come from their angle. How can they then bring that across to the candidate to to say, look, you know, this is this is a great job, but the real the reality of it is that you know it's, you're not going to be working uh, every morning. You're going to be working late. You're going to be working weekends. How how then could the employer then to give them 
um, a 50-50 chance of this podcast anyway, that we're being fair to everybody. Right. Yeah, we have to work, work with all sides. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think for an employer, the job is then, it's, it's maybe a harder job for the employer given the market right now. Um, and quick side note, one thing I've heard people uh, sort of complaining about, about job postings is what does the term entry level really mean? Yes. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be parsed out and explained more because often uh, I'll see sort of memes or jokes where a job says, you know, entry level pay, blah, blah, blah. And then it'll still say you need five years of experience. Yes. So it's very confusing <laughs> for people. <laughs> yes. What's that um, all about? When, when did that start? I mean, I don't. I feel like, yeah, it's been a while here where you've all my my young friends and my daughter's generation, they think, well, how do we get the first job when they all say that? Yes. Um, and so employers, you know, I think when I think it's very smart for employers to be honest. And I think applicants are becoming savvy enough to notice the honesty. Yes. Um, and to really be able to explain these are the possibilities of what your job will entail. And also another thing that we can do writing a job description is speak respectfully, but honestly about the both the employees and the duties. Yes. What about then, Aaron? So I'm going to put you on the spot here. No, not badly on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> if, if you're, say, writing a, a resignation letter or mm -hmm. you're saying goodbye to your employer and yes. you've had, a, say, you've simply had a grievance, and you're kind of like, oh, I'm really, really, really angry with you people. Um, how, how could you write that possibly, but also in a positive way that you both go away into the sunset? You've said your piece. You didn't insult anybody, but you kind of said that, you know, I have I'm leaving this job after 10 years or after three weeks due to X, Y and Z. Is there a way of getting high value writing into that letter? I think there is because you're right. We still want to preserve the relationship because, right, a person would probably still be working within the same industry and yes. you don't want to burn bridges and have difficult relationships. So what I would suggest in a case like that is that, again, we can be honest, but we can work with our sentence structure to try to be careful with how we use the word you. Okay. As we're writing and whether we seem like we're complaining about individuals or um, topics and outcomes, right. for example, somebody and this this is a quick example, not about um, the exact scenario. But if somebody said um, your pre you didn't include the data in your presentation. Well, it sounds like I'm talking about you. You didn't yes. include the data. But really, what I care about is the presentation. Right. And whether it had data in it. So yes. I could have re reworked that sentence to say, I was hoping the presentation would include data uh, or could you include data in the next presentation? But that idea that I'm going to focus on data and presentation instead of an individual, I think we could take that into a letter like that where we can say, you know, you never gave me the opportunities you said you would. Instead, I could say, I took this job because of the opportunities and these opportunities didn't come through. It's about the opportunity, the project, whatever it is, not about an individual person. Right. That's a great answer. Well, what about then? So the the you said there, you know, the way things are, are written. So the receiver then may might misunderstand that answer. Say, for example, yes. how it's written. True. How could, can they manage that situation then? Is it a case of like put your hands on your mouth, shut your mouth for a few moments and 
kind of interpolate what the individual, as you mentioned before, I mean, you've, you've been in Indonesia, you've been in China, you're in the States, there's different cultures, different understandings. Uh, mm. People might misunderstand a certain word. And we see it today in everything. When I say a lot of stuff that's out there, something is said and a certain person or an organization might get upset or vice versa. So is there any technique that you might suggest that, you know, when you get, an email or a letter or a correspondence, just shut your mouth for a moment and your brain and just take a deep breath. Is there anything that you've experienced throughout your, your career that you said, well, maybe I could have done that way or maybe just relax a little bit this way or. Yeah. You mean sort of to catch yourself before you send it off? Yeah. Because sometimes we just jump and we go, Oh, how dare you say I didn't yes. that? How dare you? You insulted me. And all of a sudden this thing is blown out of proportion. And yeah. an argument starts. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I've been like that myself. I received a message and I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? And sometimes <laughs> it's at the time, I think, where you might be under pressure the most and your 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 workload is so right. high. Something's going on at home. You have mental health issues. You have bills to pay or whatever it is. And this email comes in or message comes in. <laughs> you're like, what on earth? So have you, have you any strategies? At the wrong time, in email at the wrong time. Yeah, I am. Um, I do. And I think you're right that taking a moment and allowing some time is yes. always a good move. Um, we were talking in a class this morning about how if we've written some a response to something like that and we're thinking, ah, I hope that I was critical and honest, but not a jerk, yes. that one way to check for that is to when, you, you know, we often read what we've written aloud. Well, we talked in class. What if we read? what we've written aloud, but in a snarky tone. Yes. In a rude tone, just in case. Because if you read something aloud with sarcasm and rudeness, you yes. might catch if something accidentally sounded that way. Right. Um, and then I would also keep in mind on the intercultural front, you know, if you're thinking, oh, my reader might be from a different culture, they might have different expectations. Yes. I often um, advise people think about the level of directness that's appropriate in that culture think about how much background and context people might expect and think about kind of what's a, what are the norms for communication in that culture, if you can as well. Yeah, that's a great answer. It's, it's just trying to give um, a realistic insight of what the world is really like out there. And it's kind of like, you know, we receive text messages, even, even WhatsApp or signal, you yeah. receive a message and you're like, what on earth is this person talking about? And could, the poor person could have been walking down the street in the rain and they've just trying to send you a quick text message as quick as possible. Right. And it comes across as if they're so abrupt or they mean something different. And all of a sudden, then the, the, an argument may start or a disagreement. And how dare you? And has that ever happened to you, Erin? Has it? Tell me it has. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Um, and then I have to stop. And, you know, that's interesting you bring it up because I've been talking in my classes and uh, videos about writing EQ, bringing intel emotional intelligence to our writing. Yes. But I, I've been thinking lately, we also need that when we read. <laughs> Let's yes. bring some, you know, <laughs> give a little latitude to the person in case they didn't mean it like that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my colleagues had gone back to Brazil to see his parents and got a text from a friend. They were going to meet for a beer. Neither of them remembered to text each other and they didn't get a beer together. So the next day, my friend received a text saying, well, since you didn't text, we didn't get together. Oh, and right. he thought, wait a minute, you could have texted too. 
Yes. So yeah, I think it happens all the time that we wonder about the person's intention when we read and it's helpful to assume benevolent intent when we can. So that's why everybody, you need to get in touch with Erin and she'll put you right. But all your text (laughs) messages and your videos and everything else, your Facebooks, she gets she get you sorted out. So Erin, you're, you're, you're the author of High Value Writing. Um, what can readers then generally expect from the book? Is it like, is it like a guideline? Is it step by step? How, how, how uh, give us a little overview of the book. Yeah, well, the book uh, was born in the classroom. It came from the conversations I've had with business writers and people writing in their lives, their jobs and at school and what they've found um, difficult and what they've found helpful. And so the book goes through the process of first kind of, it's really conversational, casual, brief. It includes examples. And so in the beginning, it just, it's kind of me talking to you, the reader, about, well, what is the writing you have to do now? What is it like? How is it different than school? What kind of stuff does your reader want? How should you think through this situation? Right. And then we get into words. What kind of words are more powerful than others? How can you be concise and clear, but also relational? How can you think about your reader? And each chapter has strategies on adding flow, writing concisely, reducing your editing time, clarifying your point. Um, And it'll have examples from my classes um, so people can really see what it would be like in play. So generally, so if somebody is an individual like myself or anyone else or was going to come to you, what services then do you provide? So how how does the system work? So say, for example, tomorrow I say, I want to get in touch with Aaron. And it's, a, it's an organization or a, do you do everything? It's like corporate as well, as well as individuals? I do. Yeah. Honestly, most often I'll have a class of a group of people, a team. Um, this morning it was a medical clinic and they had all their new managers take a class on writing as a manager. So it oh, depends wow. on what that group needs. Um, yeah, because often, you know, when you get promoted, it's kind of like, oh, no, <laughs> now everyone's <laughs> going to see my writing. Um, so. For individuals, I offer um, classes that I have on my website where I've recorded myself explaining little little nuggets and they're kind of um, bite-sized e-learning. And then in person, or not in person, but live virtual, I'll teach a class um, for a company or a nonprofit or a government agency. And then the YouTube channel is the place where folks around the world can hopefully get that free learning um, even if they're not able to take a class or something like that. So, so organizations from anywhere on the planet can get in touch with you and do the That's virtual. Right. I love, yeah, this morning I was on a call with Afghanistan, which I thought was so exciting. Wow. They're trying to rebuild their university system. I felt like so lucky to maybe get to be involved and make them some videos. Um, so yeah, that it's, I'm kind of trying to do a tier where for countries and folks who can't afford it, there's free learning on YouTube for individuals in the middle. There are classes that are pretty cheap on my website that for one person alone. And then if somebody wanted a class for their team, we would work together so I could create a curriculum that helps them with whatever problems they were facing. So have you had any clients from Ireland yet? Any organizations? I did do a talk um, for the European Commission. They oh, wow. have a, very yeah, they, they had, it was very <laughs> exciting. I mean, I was here. It was remote. It was dark out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they wanted a talk about clear writing for their clear writing um, team and their editors. 
And wow. that included a couple of people from Ireland, but well, I haven't have... gotten to teach in Ireland yet. Come on, Ireland organizations. There's lots, you, there's lots of you here. Come on. Get, My name's Erin. Get yep. on to Erin. I'm looking at your website here, Erin, and I'm not being rude. I am listening to what everything you're saying. Uh, but your yeah, website yeah. is highvaluewriting.com. Uh, you have information, you have your book there. There's a blog. Um, oh, yeah. So you mentioned the YouTube. Are you on the LinkedIn's and the, the Instagram's and stuff like yep. that? Yep. I'm on those. I'm on LinkedIn as Aaron Labax. I'm on Instagram as High Value Writing and YouTube as High Value Writing. Um, you, have some, you have some great stuff there. Look at your blog. Um, you have school versus work writing, writing to build communities. Uh, how is your writing EQ? Top three writing goals for 2022. Just so much information there. Um, as you mentioned, that people can, uh, if they're really interested in writing and improving and, and educating themselves, it's it's pretty much um, all there. I think I asked you before, Aaron, do you have any cringe joke that you want to tell me about writing before we go? Is there oh, anything? Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I was trying to remember. I mean, I'll tell you the most common joke I hear is the one about the panda. One tells. It, it's commas. Um, and my students will bring it up a lot. They say that the panda, a panda eats shoots and leaves, right? They eat bamboo shoots and bamboo leaves. So they eat shoots and leaves. But if you put in commas, it would say the panda eats shoots and leaves. Very so, cringe word. Violent but... pandas that nobody expected. <laughs> I hear that one a lot. Or the other one is let's eat, comma, grandma. But if you take out the comma, it sounds like we're going to eat grandma. I'm, I have to say they're very cringeworthy and I appreciate you <laughs> yeah. sharing it with me today. Um, the It's amazing with the comma thing. I was pulled up on that only recently about the commas. And you know what it is? When I'm writing, and I think you've seen my, my horrible writing anyway, but when I'm writing, I just write as, as if I'm thinking it. Mm-hmm. It just goes blah, blah. And somebody yeah. actually went to me and said, you have so many commas there. And I kind of went, seriously and I had a look and I went oh yeah you're right it's just my brain is just thinking as you said panda uh, you know shoots leaves I just I just sometimes I just forget all the commas and I just bleh, yeah it just totally comes out so it's I do apologize about that and anybody that I've sent an email to or a message to my, my sincere apologies I'll send you some flowers <laughs> one day so before we go and um, mm. somebody that's not I know we spoke about confidence in writing but if somebody really is kind of struggling with trying to get started mm-hmm. to, to really encourage them uh, little baby steps at the moment of how to, to get into it, what would you recommend? To get started with writing, uh, with building confidence about yeah, writing? Just the writing, just, like, like, just say, for example, like myself, I'm looking at my pages here or, or questions I'm asking, like, and I might feel a bit intimidated how, how would you kind of say, well, maybe try this or try sure. that first? Sure. Um, I'll just give two super quick rules of thumb then. Um, I think one way that we can realize our expertise is to realize that any there is no one right way to write. And if somebody told you that, they were not, it was not true. There are many ways to write. Um, we're not wrong when we write differently, but it's always based on the goal and the reader. So if you are writing in a situation and you're nervous, you actually know more about the goal and the reader than any writing teacher because you're the one who's right there. So you can step back and analyze the person who's going to read it and what you're trying to get. And that could give you some insights about how to write and make you feel more confident that you're doing it well for that person. 
And then I also advise when you're, when somebody's completely stuck, I call it um, blank screen paralysis, BSP. When you're totally <laughs> stuck, you're trying to write an email. I just say, jot down on a piece of paper, who, what, when, where, why of what you're trying to communicate, put all those guys into a sentence. And there's your sentence number one of your main point. And then you're, you're already started. That's great. Great, 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 great advice, Aaron. And, uh, yeah, what I'll do is now I'll just say a big thank you to international educator and author. I'm going to say this hopefully again. I get it correctly, Erin <laughs> Lebax. Did I say that correctly? Aaron? You got it. You nailed cool. it. Yep. <laughs> uh, for chatting with me today on the uh, Wellbeing and Career Podcast. I put all the information uh, once the podcast has been refu- uh, refused. I was going to say approved by Erin. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll get all the information out there and all the links that you can get in touch with Aaron. So thanks so much for Aaron uh, for chatting with me today on the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, David, for having me. I sure enjoyed our conversation. No worries. My pleasure.